welcome to The Gray Area, where I dispense advice and give interviews on relationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the seventh podcast in a weekly series titled Dungeons and Discussions. Last week's episode was a roundtable with River, Eram, and Wemmick about EverQuest, Rift, and the dawn of the MMO. Please visit my Facebook page, The Gray Area, and add to the forum discussion on this topic and to tell me your story. Today is Sunday, March 5th, and this week we meet Dex Lee, who is a Dungeons & Dragons player and also a GM of a guild in Dungeons & Dragons Online. Wemmick is also a player of old school D&D and is the dungeon master of our current group. Welcome to the show, guys. I'm so glad to have you guys both here. Dex, uh, we're going to start with you. When the game was at its height of popularity in the 90s, uh, there was a lot of hoopla about the game kind of being linked to devil worship. Most obviously, I'm guessing, because of the chaotic evil options and necromancy, uh, I think in some of the third edition module settings. They can be pretty dark with the succubi demons and such like that, and I was not allowed to play as a kid for that reason. I think some people, for some people, this controversy brought the game more into the public eye, and I was wondering if this had any influence over when you began playing, and what interested you about the game in general. Oh, I began playing... Back in 1978, when I was 15, dating myself a little bit. <laughs> um, so the game was fairly brand new, uh, just a couple years old at that time. Um, previous to that, I had been a big uh, board gamer, strategic stuff, like uh, as low as risk up to Axis and Allies and okay. Toon Leader and stuff like that. So, so like the armies? A, yeah, mostly about fighting. Um, so this was a more uh, wide-open possibilities as far as, you know, how far your imagination could take the game. Um, a little bit of a simulation as far as trying to simulate what real things might take place and what their odds and chances of happening. One of the original titles for the gamers was Simulation Technician, uh, which is actually a professional role in, uh, in some places. Anyway. Well, I, if I remember about uh, some of the games you're mentioning, they, they have figurines which you can move around in strategic ways on the board. When you play D&D to begin with, do you, are you a fan of having the little miniatures uh, to represent your character, or do you just do it all imagination? Myself, personally, I, I'm just as good using a quarter or a, or a die or something else, but if other people like to use miniatures, I'm not against it. No big deal for me. It's all in your head. Wemmick. I know as a female playing pencil and paper, it's kind of more of a geek check now than a thing that you really hide and, and hang your head about, but I came to the game pretty late, and this is my first group with you guys, so perceptions might have changed about that. When you began playing, uh, were you as obvious about your love of the game then as you are now? I think I pretty much was. Um, it sort of was a game that fell on my lap uh, through Boy Scout camp originally was when I first got to play the Redbox edition when I was away for a week. And then afterwards, it just kind of um, stuck with me and went looking for people to play and took, you know, some time off here and there from playing. But yeah, it sort of got me right from the get-go. So you were also young like Dex, kind of yeah. starting at the beginning. How have things changed for both of you? I mean, that that's quite a switch, I guess, from the original uh, concept all the way to fourth edition, I think is what we're playing right now. How do you feel about kind of the evolution of, of, of where things have gone? I've been really impressed with the massive amount of content that's been generated over the past couple of years. Um, I mostly enjoy all the new content type stuff that's been added, although I miss some of the old content and it's no problem dragging it up. I wish they'd redo it when they redid the rules to uh, have it fit. But um, 
As far as the rules evolutions goes, I'm half and half. Uh, some of it's been really good, and some of it's just tedious, uh, lacking in some places and, and, and too much in others. Um, but the nice thing about playing pen paper is, is you can always make house rules and mediate things as you see them causing confusion in the game. Uh, of course, there was a time when it was a lot easier to remember all the rules. Now it's like, oh, every 15 minutes you're looking up some new rule <laughs> um, and trying to figure out what's going on. I guess it's just a, a lack of, uh, of uh, going through the details on my part, but uh, sometimes it gets a little tedious. But other than that, I'm just still glad that the game is progressing and uh, hopefully it gets fine-tuned and works a little better in the future. I see where they went with 4th Ed. I don't disagree with it but it did lose a little bit of a feel for the game for me. I think Dex brought up a really good point as far as making the house rules. House rules were always largely accepted, but you know when you've only got so much uh, material to work with, sometimes the original goal of you know when you're younger is you want to win, 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 so the GM was always trying to kill the party, and then you learn pretty quickly that that doesn't work because then people don't come back to play. <laughs> so then the GM's job, as well as administrating rules and telling the story, is really keeping either the story going or if the players do something in pencil and paper that's completely unscripted, then going along with them and trying to make this journey probably far more epic than what's in a book. I would think that would happen fairly often. I mean, especially in our group. I mean, we, we don't know the story ahead of time, so we don't know where we're t supposed to be. So, you know, there's kind of an endless uh, amount of rabbit trails you can go down. And being the dungeon master, I guess a lot of that is just kind of your own creation of, of trying to get things back on track in a roundabout way. When you're talking about pen paper, and the whole difference between whether it's a good game or a bad game is the people. And, of course, the first person that's really important is the game master, dungeon master, whatever you want to call them nowadays. Um, so the game can only be that good. And sometimes the players that are more imaginative create havoc for the dungeon master. And sometimes how he deals with that uh, is how the game goes. And, you know, me, I don't master much, but when I do, I'm not afraid to take a character sheet. What epic tale doesn't involve somebody going down? You know, uh, it's, it's more dramatic that way. And sometimes your next character is better because of it. So uh, I, I tend to, to play more than I master because uh, I'm a little bit ruthless. <laughs> well, see, that's not something I'm looking forward to. I'm very attached to Tentacle. And, and the day he dies, I'm going to be very, very sad. But uh, I know eventually it will happen. It's better to live one day as a lion than a thousand days as a lamb. <laughs> so they say. It's true. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I really like the fact with Bones on Paper, it brings people around a table, whether physically or in our case with our group, uh, virtually, although that presents its own challenges. But um, sometimes it's easier being a GM where you can see everyone, you can get the note under the table, um, you've got an idea of where things are, you can easily see the maps, whereas with our group it's largely virtual, so... Um, balancing and trying to accommodate to both of you whether it's a yes this is going to be an extremely difficult adventure or it's you know some other oddity 
it's it's got its own little quirks to it. Well, that that brings me to my next question um, for you, Dex. You play a paladin named Van Axel in, in our current 4th edition game, and I believe we recently just finished Keep on the Shadowfell, and we've begun Thunderspire Labyrinth. What did you think of the last campaign we did, and also, how does that compare to some of the others that you play? Because I know you're in a Thursday group as well, and, and I assume that you're around an actual table with those people and, and seeing them versus the virtual group that, that we have. I would say, uh, you know, the main difference other than uh, the rule set that we're using and the uh, play campaign would be um, when you're sitting around with a bunch of friends in person, uh, there tends to be some catch-up time, there tends to be a lot of bad pun time, <laughs> and, and a lot of detraction from the game, which is all good. Uh, sometimes I wish we could play more. We do tend to stick more to the game when we do it virtually, um, but then we also end up wrestling with I can't see the maps. maps. And, you know, yes. there certainly needs to be some some advancements in that area. It would be nice, um, but you know, they both have their advantages. I, I think the in person is is favorable, just because you get the feeling for the rest of the party and, and what they're thinking about, and you know what you can do together. Uh, whereas it's a little hard to to plan. I think it might make uh, a little bit more relaxing because I know this being my first group. At times, it it feels. In my imagination, the ideal, you know, D&D group would be someone who feels comfortable enough, you know, acting out silliness of their character and making sounds. And, you know, I, I like it when Van Axel yells, you know, <laughs> things, things like that, you know. <laughs> but Bahamut, you know, and all that other stuff, that makes it kind of fun. And virtually, it's a little bit awkward when you can't see that other person, I think, to, to kind of really let yourself get comfortable with the group at times. Right. So you're you're so you're role playing and, you know, a good part of that role playing comes through in your in your actual physical uh, depiction sometimes. Um, sometimes they don't translate. Sometimes something I do might seem a little bit over the top and drastic, whereas, you know, I'm just being a paladin. <laughs> um, and and I would say that I was very fortunate in uh and the last, uh, I don't even know the, the name of the stuff we're playing. I haven't looked it up, so I'm just following my way through. Keep it the shadow I, I was very lucky that uh, I picked a uh, Dragonborn Paladin of Bahamut because it seemed to fit with the campaign very well. <laughs> you were lucky. Um, so, yeah, so it may not be not so lucky sometimes in the future. Sometimes being a Paladin can get you into a lot of trouble. Ah. Well, it's, it's, it's also fun when you're seeing people face-to-face. -face if uh, Lee is, like, leaning over, looking like he's trying to you know, stare down a miniature or something. I can always roll an intimidation check. You know, sometimes the role playing is more just how the the person is interacting with the board as well. But that's part of the reason why our group is on hiatus is I'm trying to find a good alternative for uh, some method of allowing uh, decks to be able to see the map and so forth. I thought that um that the Dungeons and Dragons homepage has, has worked something out where you were saying that uh, they were going to make the maps available if you purchase um, the campaign that, that people could access them. They're they're in they're still in beta with that. They're originally it was a big selling point for their D and D online product, and then they shelved it. And now they're trying to bring it back. Um, there hasn't been a official release, but there's been plenty of really nice demos online where um, Hopefully they can get that product into the, the GM's hands quickly because that would make a world of difference. I do like, the, the one thing I like about being virtual is it makes it easier for me to lean over and, uh, and have some side conversations with uh, the dungeon master that, uh, that Van Axel doesn't know about so I can steal things and, and behave 
more nefariously without his um, ever holy and and uh, <laughs> you know view on every action that I take. So I, right, I, and that would equate to passing notes in a uh, in a person to person game. Okay. Um, fortunately for me, I'm not doing much things that are nefarious and underhanded because I'm a paladin, so I don't have that problem with this particular character. But if I was say playing my my rogue or or a uh, a ranger that I like to play, I might be doing some sneaky stuff and would be very difficult to translate across the uh, the virtual communication interface. Um, and, you know, that that's a whole ball of its own wax, is how do you translate this game into a virtual world? And, you know, the MMOs are one way of doing that. The MUDs were one way of doing it back in the day. Although the online stuff is is fairly interesting, I don't think anything's ever given me the juice that the... Uh, that the that the in-person uh, pen and paper has, so I think that's a work in progress that's uh, needs a lot more, a uh, lot more uh, effort put into it. And I don't know if you can ever actually get there. Okay, well, I definitely have to try to experience that sometime with one of our uh, our newer campaigns. Wemmick, uh, I have a question for you about some of the Palladium books that I know you collect, the the Rift series. I don't know if they relate or how they relate to D and D or how they influence your game. Are these just using them for imagery to kind of draw some of your, some of the things that you're describing to us, or how do they relate to D&D? Um, in some cases, they don't necessarily relate to D&D directly, more just the role-playing perspective. Um, some people love to come out of the woodworks from the comic shops in the old days to play D&D, when really D&D was the only thing out there. Later on it became Gamma World and everyone kind of has their own little flavor of choice. Uh, D&D in the case of Palladium is sort of a central hub for role-playing. The Palladium stuff is material that I enjoy greatly as far as the uh, authors have been making really good attempts at fleshing out an entire world, a mythos, a lore, um, and just generally bringing as many sort of interesting points in to bring players in than D&D does. D&D is largely seen by the outside as you have your rogue, you have your cleric, you have your warrior, you have your mage, and you go blow stuff up. That's fine, but that may not attract someone who wants to be a mutant chicken with um, power <laughs> armor. Riffs allows you to do that but in a way that your character can have uh, meaning and merit and in D&D you can have characters with meaning and merit um, there's a bunch of different game worlds there and they have preference I prefer Forgotten Realms uh, as far as my cup of tea but there's Dark Sun there's the Eberron um, series so it, it's more just love of D&D love of roleplay brought out and I enjoy reading the world books and the character stats and sometimes just even crunching the numbers in my head is as fun if I can't get a, a group together but that's a nice part of the internet is it's now bringing people well out of just whoever you can find in your local town area to all over the world. I really do like the artwork in them as well I mean that helps me visualize um, some of the places that that you know we, we talk about in in the keep and some of the characters that I might not have reference for. Well, there are also the role playing um, authors and publishers, Gary Gyax and uh, the fellows who handle the Palladium books uh, for Rifts. 
they've always been very open to uh, fan communication and interaction with the Gen Cons and so forth. They're not sort of a standoff um, celebrity that you go and you see a movie, but you'll never interact with these people. You could actually write into Wizards of the Coast and there's, you know, a chance you may hear something back or you may see something or you can kind of go, wow, this rule was modified and it seems kind of like something that I wrote you feel as a player more invested in the product when the vendor and the publisher actually have um, some degree of interaction. And when they don't, like when Wizards of the Coast took over for uh, the D&D, um, there was a lot of backlash because Wizards wanted to turn it into just a business per se. And they didn't really understand the people behind the money that was going over the counter for the books. They just wanted to deal with it as sort of a publishing house. Do you think that's still so? Because I like Magic the Gathering quite a bit and uh, used to play the card game often. And it seems to me that uh, talking to a few people that have worked kind of behind the scenes in Wizards of the Coast, that, that they are sort of a different company, not your usual wearing suits and, and uh, you know, having business meetings, but more actually made up of real players that do that do enjoy the game. Do you think that's changed over time and they've realized that or are you still having issues with that? I think in I think in a large part it was sort of an adapter die, but there's definitely a flavor difference between what Wizards does now versus say um I'm gonna keep going back to them, but Palladium who handles the uh Rift series. The Rift series or producers are, are very close to the community and um it shows a lot. I think the people who are old users of D&D may or may not have a different opinion than someone who just picked up D&D a couple years ago after the merger. Um, this is to both of you. I'm just curious. How many characters have you, have you had during your lifetime of play? Would you uh, just estimate? Good God. Dozens. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. Going back to 78, oh, I probably played 10, 12 characters in first ed, five or six in second ed, another dozen in uh, 3.5, 3 and 3.5, and that doesn't, uh, you know, and that's just Dungeons and Dragons. That's mm -hmm. not Traveler or Shadowrun or how many books I got up here. Um, yeah, so a lot. <laughs> so you are willing to uh, to risk it all, like you said, and, and just roll and, and just trust that and pray that the Dungeon Master allows you to roll a character at the level that your your group is currently playing. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's how it works. And it's also, especially when you're playing with a regular group of friends, um, sometimes those deaths uh, carry meaning into other adventures. So, you know, everybody will always remember how Skosh went down. You know, in a blaze of glory. Okay. You know, Saving uh, the party like with his self-sacrifice. Exactly. Uh. Um, or killing the party with a bad roll. Ooh. <laughs> That's actually where my name Dex came from. We won't go there. I'm losing my faith in you, Van Axel. Yeah, don't ever ask him to make a reflex save to save the party. It's not a good idea. Yeah, it's al it's always nice the fact that the role playing allows you so many hooks where you can add your own content in. You know, Dex's legend now has you know shaped the political outcome of you know such and such a stan um, <laughs> because you know if if he had done that role right, then you know who knows what could have happened. It's that butterfly effect. 
and again, we come back to role-playing, because it depends on, you know, the type of characters I tend to play, monks, paladins, sometimes fighters, rarely casters, sometimes a cleric. Um, depending on the, the role that your character's playing, you may be a do-or-die kind of guy, and eventually there's going to be some die. <laughs> um, you know, if you're a rogue or somebody a little bit more slippery or with a little less scruples, maybe you got no problem, you know, backing out of a fight or, or doing whatever. So I think it just, you come down to the, you play the role you're in. And if, you know, if you're in a do or die situation, if it's your job to take the heat, then you take the heat. Sometimes it's just not going to go your way. If it always goes your way, then there's that expectation. Yes. And I think it, it takes away from that seat of the pants. Oh crap. Am I going to live through this or not? You know, I, so I like it when um, I can get into a character and I may have absolutely as far as a character, no trust whatsoever for the other party members, you know, mm -hmm. Dex the Paladin. I mean, my, my rogue may not trust Dex for as far as he can throw him. But if Dex is playing to Dex's character, I will play to my character and generally the party will move forward. But on the same token, I trust Dex incredibly as a player and as a person. So I know that in terms of playing this game, he's not going to necessarily try and throw the game just to get it over quickly with or, you know, because he's had a bad day or something. There, there's The game will bring you closer, but the actions somewhat translate into the game world. That has been something that, that has been a little bit of a challenge for me because, um, you know, separating yourself from your character and having them act according to the, their nature and not taking it personally, you know, to the person because, you know, there's been times when we've had guest people like um, Cryptomancers come in as a guest and his mage is a brat. <laughs> I do not like his mage at all, but I really like Cryptomancer. So it's... It's an interesting uh, transformation to see some of the some of the characters that get rolled and how how you can really react to them completely differently than the person and keep them separate and and not let that bleed through to your irritation with the actual player. No, and you know mages are supposed to be irritable, uh, irritating. Uh, so as you know, as much as it's frustrating playing with them, sometimes it's exactly the feel I would be I would be expecting uh, okay. from a mage. Uh, so I have no problem with it, you know. <laughs> Just don't ever get between me and my god. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't get between me and my coin. We've had we've had our, our conflicts. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing with paladins is you have to like kind of fool them into doing the thing you want them to because you know it's all about the uh, the moral of the uh, of the decisions. Right. So so you know some decisions just can't be done. <laughs> this this is for the poor, the poor and the needy. Yes. I think it's time for questions. So I have some questions from uh, the listeners that I'm going to read to you and I'm going to answer them according to my own advice and then I'd like you guys to jump in and give your own take on uh, what you think would be a good direction for them to go, okay? Gimped Ranger asks, I am new to D&D and feel totally silly acting out strange scenarios with virtual strangers and making weird pew-pew sounds. How can I learn to relax and be a better player? Well, we've talked about this a little bit earlier, but I definitely think this is a good question, and uh, I also have kind of a similar instinct to, to play it on the down low. D&D is much more fun, I think, like you were saying, when you allow yourself to get absorbed in the story. And a great resource I found recently, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to this site, but it's called goblinsandgold.com. 
is kind of a, a series of home movies made by a group of players um, around a scenario called Night of the Zombie King. It's a short story about this group of players coming back together after one of them has left for many years and they want to finish a campaign that they've kind of, it's kind of their white rabbit of campaigns they've never finished. And the dungeon master in it is just really compelling and just theatrical and the way that he presents the game and just his uh, enthusiasm about it just makes you feel silly um, not to get into the game and I found it really inspiring. I definitely recommend you tr you check that site out and I'll leave it in the show notes too because I thought that it, it's really changed kind of the way I've I viewed the game since since I've seen it. And I think that the dungeon measure should make you feel like the game is a safe place to relax and really fall into your character. I've also read a, a book called The Girl's Guide to D&D, which I found amusing and kind of helpful to the new player if you're a girl. What do you guys think? What would you answer to that question? Was that just one question? Yeah, the new, <laughs> the new to D&D and feeling um, silly acting out scenarios. I, I would say you just need to, to kind of find your inspiration. And most, most people, I think, come to the game after reading, um, and reading is important, uh, lots of stories that have inspired them, um, be it Tolkien or some of the other uh, more uh, poss uh, popular uh, sci-fi or fantasy. So, and I don't ever think people should emulate uh, or you know try to recreate a, a fantasy character thing. But it gives you an idea mm -hmm. um, of where your characters can go and what kind of what kind of uh, what kind of uh, interactions they play with the group. Um, and usually, when you have a, a group of gaming people come together, they come together, although maybe not reading the exact same books. They come together with that exact with that same type of mindset, and then you create your own story within. I've always thought that a good adventure, from front to be from front to end, if a DM does it right, reads like a really good book. You know, if you look back over what happened and how things are going, so you, yeah, it's it's role playing, and uh, I think if you find your role and then you know make something of it, you know do something new uh, that you haven't read about. Or, you know, look at the possibilities that you've seen in the books and then take that somewhere. Um, and usually uh, a really good campaign, uh, players will feed off each other and take uh, cues from each other. And sometimes it's the DM's job to say, well, hey, you're the uh, so-and-so role in this, in this uh, adventure. At this point, what are you thinking and what are you going to do? And, and make a person who's maybe in a shell uh, kind of uh, create their, their idiom on the game. Okay. Yeah, and you know, in in large part, uh, just to add to that, tell the person this: these games have been around for over thirty years now. You're not the first person to plunk down money. You're not the first person to act silly or serious or charge across a field or make pew pew sounds. Um, it obviously is something that's done. It doesn't seem to have nearly the stigmatism that it used to. Um, but really, as Dex said, having the GM be willing to interact and try to bring someone out, and you may find that inside this shelled up person is a really incredibly ridiculous or poignant bard that just, they can act out this role. Okay, here's the next question. Holy Hell asks, My paladin was despondent after a thief destroyed and desecrated his symbol of cord. He went on a crusade, feeling that all was lost, and when we found the thief, he beheaded him for dishonoring his god. Is he still a paladin? Okay, that's the question, Dex. Here's my answer. Um, 
I think a true paladin wouldn't be about revenge that way. Um, even though Cord was dishonored by by this desecration, it, it doesn't sound like a feat kind of fit for honoring a god of strength and courage, or really a paladin's uh, way of dealing with a, a situation. I think it sounds like he's more of a lawful chaotic maybe now than than a lawful good and a paladin, and hey. I, I think his power should be stripped for him from him. But that's my opinion. What do you guys think? That's definitely a GM's call, and one of the things this is going to uh, hinge on is the actual god that you're a paladin of. And okay. a god like Kord, you might could get away with that. Um, really? Okay, yes. explain that. No, he, he desecrated a symbol of, of his faith, okay? That's, that, that's, <laughs> that's you know, it's you're going to have to argue it. And this, this is one of those things where, where the, the GM's going to have to make the call and how he did it, and he's going to have to explain himself how he came to the decision to do this. Was this a, in the heat of the moment? Did he plan on doing this the whole time? Did the guy ask for forgiveness? Was he armed or unarmed when he did it? Did he give him a chance to defend himself? There's a lot of things that go with it. You could get away with this. You probably might even still be able to do it, but then again, there could be repercussions. Mm. So again, it comes back to the actual God that you're representing. So it's a judgment call. Thinking lawful good, you would not kill somebody if you had the choice not And my reaction as far as the rogue would be, uh, well, uh, whoever the paladin is, is uh, doing all this, I would be more interested in locating the stash of the soon-to-be-deceased rogue and uh, making off with it. Well, of course, but as a GM, how would you handle that, do you think? I think as a GM, um, exactly kind of as a, as a, yeah, as a DM... Wow. Uh, as Dex said, uh, it's kind of on the basis. You know, is it a god of strength? Is it a god of revenge? Is it a god of this? Is it a god of that? And kind of look at it and, you know, is it a matter of this paladin had it out for this rogue for something else and just needed an excuse and flew off the handle? Or was this actually a true act of uh, vindication for the god? Okay. Here's, here's what I would do as a GM, probably without some type, you know, without knowing what the argument would be at the time, I would, after that, before I made a decision, I would probably arrange some type of a trial okay. to, to really bring out where this guy's going with his paladin. And there's a zillion different ways to do that, but it's going to be painful. <laughs> <laughs> and it may require years of penitence, uh, of penance. So uh, there's some interesting ways you can do that. And I've actually had that done to me back in second ed. It was rather grueling, and I came out the other side with no items or loot whatsoever, but I did retain my paladinhood. But okay. it made me a stronger character in the end, so I, I think I would think of something nasty and twisted to throw him... <laughs> to so, really see where his, his true intentions were in so that. Say, so say, like, the thief had a god, you know, a trickster or whatever of his own, okay? He might throw you up against her, you know, teleport you to some dungeon where you had to, you know, prove yourself to get through it. In both a moral and a uh, and a uh, courage slash strength sense, um, to see if you really were made of the right stuff, or if you were just a craven coward also, and just were you know petty and looking for revenge. Cryptomancer in the past uh, had a similar situation in a game that was run back in high school, where it literally the result came down to um, a die roll. A certain die roll. Uh, the god would react at a certain die roll, it was, well, technically okay. 
um, because in second edition the gods were more closer to uh, the material plane as far as you could possibly stumble across one. And, uh, well, turned out the character that was being played was a cleric and had a violation of sorts and uh, ate a lightning bolt from the sky. <laughs> and it was a matter of did the person, you know, win or not? The god was kind of like, hey, here's a reminder. Are you strong enough to, to take it or not? And it, it fit within the deity's purview to give sort of a hot foot, but a very stern hot foot at the same time. Did he survive the roll check? Uh, I believe it uh, was not a uh, survivable event. Oh. Can you have a paladin of an evil god, or does that make you not a paladin? No, all paladins are lawful good. Okay. So, and you always need, uh, in most rule sets, you always need to be within one step of uh, of your god's deity, Of your, I'm sorry, of your god's alignment. So he would either need to be lawful neutral or neutral good, okay. um, or lawful good. Uh, and then you can, you know, some of your actions and, 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 and rituals and stuff are going to depend on, you know, what his exact persona is. Um, now, back in the old days, you could have a, what some people call an anti-paladin, Blackguard, which is a paladin turned to lawful evil. Lawful <laughs> no longer evil. a paladin, now a Blackguard, but uh, usually set up as a, as a monster class that you run into. But I've known uh, campaigns where actual player characters, were that was done too, so... You're no longer a paladin, but you still retain a lot of the paladin-like abilities, but now you're lawful evil. So you've been turned to the dark side, basically. Dex, I know you play Dungeons & Dragons online. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that game is a natural progression from the pencil and paper, or is it a completely different game? That's a question I ask myself all the time. Um, the answer is sometimes it looks like they're trying, and this is as good as it came through, and sometimes it's like, hmm doesn't look like they're trying um so i the way i look at it is the difference between the pencil and paper game and the online game it's like the book in the movie <laughs> scenario <laughs> the book is always better um it you know stokes your imagination and you know can sometimes take you places in your imagination that the movie won't because the movie's constrained usually within its visual uh representation whereas the movie sometimes give you some visual representations you didn't think of. So, you know, you can get a lot of that uh, visual gratification from the game. Um, it's much more easier to uh, find people to play with online on a game like that. However, sometimes those aren't necessarily always the people you want to play with. And that's a constant uh, pugs are a constant uh, source of uh, frustration. But then again, you know, every once in a while you meet somebody that's really, really cool. And, uh, you kind of stick together, and that's that's kind of like where our guild came from. Is we've had lots of people come in and out, and it's usually the 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 more mature people that have had a uh, a grounding in pen paper tend to stick. But okay, I was wondering about that. If most of the players who are on DDO came from pencil and paper, or if no, they were I, just came in because it's a, an MMO, and that was kind of what appealed to them. Now you have a mix, and like I said, most of the people that have stuck to our guild have a pen paper. Uh, background, but uh, I would say probably in the game, two thirds have a pen paper background because the the name D Dungeons and Dragons is the draw, and about a third or so are you know just wandering in, checking out the MMO because they've heard of it, or they bored with WoW or what have you, and they usually I would say they probably tend to wander off to the next game. Dio have gone on for five years now um, through iterations of lagging 
uh, <laughs> players and and you know and then you know they make a new release and players come in but uh I would say that the pen paper grounded people are the more likely people to stick with the game. I know they did just uh, celebrate their five year anniversary and it went free to play not too long ago too. Um, that might draw, I would suspect a different group of people as well just to try it out. And, and I did, I did too. I think Wemmick and I played for a little while just to see what it was like. And I just had a lot of trouble kind of figuring out the interface. I liked that I could see the the dice rolling and I could kind of get the correlation between that and the pencil and paper but I I just got lost in the towns and and the monk class maybe just wasn't where I should have been it was kind of a confusing game for me and I didn't really stick with it very long right and 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 you're fairly new even to um pen paper Definitely. so um yeah and any new game there's always a challenge of figuring out especially if you're doing it by yourself without you know somebody there holding your hand figuring out the new uh the GUI and the controls and your, uh, you know, your possible actions and stuff like that and the timing of the game. Um, pen paper rules uh, experience helps somewhat within the game and then sometimes you run across something you wouldn't expect. Uh, you know, like, a, you know, you run across a luck blade. And you're like, a luck blade? Oh my god! <laughs> and you're like, yeah, well it gives you plus one to resistance checks. Wow. Um, so, I, I'm just saying... It's easier to understand this game if you have a pen paper background. If you don't, then it might seem unwieldy. Um, but then again, almost all games have a level of a, a learning curve when you come in. Definitely you know. true. Um, did you want to say anything about your guild? I know you kind of became guildmaster in an unusual way. Uh, do you have any interesting experiences to share about your play in, in DDO Online with the guild? Oh, I'll probably keep that stuff in-house. <laughs> but, um, you know... I. You know, me and the core people in the guild, we tend to shy away from drama. And, you know, you, and you don't want to reject people outright because you never know when one guy might become a really good player and a really good guildie and contribute a lot to the guild. So we, we're open to a lot of different people to come in. But some people just tend to create and feed off a lot of drama. And uh, sometimes yeah. I've, we've let that take in the guild to, to spots where, you know, even some core people were thinking about leaving. But generally, uh, we avoid the drama. If, if you're going to be a drama llama, you're probably gone <laughs> in our guild. There's just, you know, and, and our guild is, is more about the people that we play with than the game itself. DDO is just where we have, is the bar we just happen to uh, carouse at sometimes. Um, some people have interests in other games. Some people don't. Some people play a lot more than others. Some people play less. Um, but uh, I think. You know, it's just like it's just like your 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 regular pen paper in person group. You're really not going to play with people you don't like, not for long anyway. Um, so yeah, we tend to keep the people in the in, in the guild that you know like minded and you know willing to help each other out. Uh, I'm surprised you guys don't say. play virtually together and and start a, a pen and paper game. It's just so many difference in time zones and. Uh, and work schedules or lack thereof, and uh, ability, you know, ability to uh, to get online and, and do stuff. It I, we've talked about it, but it never seems to work out. There's only a few of us that actually still play pen paper. A lot of people just are in a situation where uh, they don't have a group that they can play with, and this is their only their only way of doing it. But um, a lot of us just don't have the time. We have a, a gaming store. We're lucky enough to have one near us where. There are people that advertise. They have groups going out for all sorts of different games, and uh, 
you know, Warhammer and this and that. And then we thought about signing up. I mean, I've thought of signing up and seeing what that's like, just sitting down at a table with total strangers. But there's also that sort of uh, <laughs> oddity that they are total strangers. And, uh, and it's difficult, unless you're at the beginning of a campaign, I would think, to just sit down and join with other people. Yeah, you want to... Um... If you're going to start with a new group, you definitely want to start in the beginning of the campaign because that's that's where you kind of learn where other people are at in their uh, where they're headed and uh, how the game master's forming things up. Um, but game stores are great. Um, we have a couple here close uh, game parlor and when I was in the Navy, which by the way, when you were in the Navy, being one of the Dungeons and Dragon guys was a definite negative on your uh, rep sheet. <laughs> You're going to get beat like, down. Oh, you're one of those guys. Um, <laughs> but we had in San Francisco, we had a, some really great gaming stores. And, you know, you could rent a table for like 50 cents an hour. And we do Starfleet battles and, and uh, Battletech and all kinds of uh, different board games, too. But, you know, we'd, we'd stay in there all weekend long and game uh, pizza boxes and uh, <laughs> two liter bottles all over the place. Um, and that's great, and that's a good place to go if you don't have a group. If you've got a local gaming shop that's got some tables and stuff like that, it's a great place to go hang out. You don't necessarily have to jump in the game. You can just kind of like sideline it, you know, and ask if you can kind of listen to what's going on and get an idea of what's going on. Because, hmm. um, you know, there's going to be some people you might fit with, and there's going to be some people you might not. <laughs> um, I wondered I, if people would like that or if they'd feel uh, awkward about being observed. Uh, usually most don't, as long as you don't uh, do peanut gallery and snipe at them <laughs> from the sidelines. Uh, most people really don't. Um, some people do. I would say the safest thing is, and I hate to say this because um, I found some really creative younger players, is, is it's probably best to start out with people near your own age group or that have similar experiences. Because your age and your experience and your background are going to kind of bleed through into the playing and, and you might get it, you might not get it, but that might be one of the deciding factors. So, Okay. Good tips. Do uh, you, especially you, Wemmick, um, either of you have anything else you want to, uh, to bring to the table here? Cause I think we're about to close up. I think I'm good here. It's just for someone looking to take that step in, even if they're just curious about role playing and it's perfectly fine to take the step in, look around, decide that, you know, it may not be for you, but it'll always be open if you decide to come back a couple years later and look. I found it pretty rewarding, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting back to the summer where we tend to be a little bit more regular about some of our some of our getting together. Well, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. If any of the listeners have suggestions about future topics or ways to improve the show, please visit the Facebook page, The Gray Area, to let me know and add to this current discussion for this week. If you have any gray areas in your relationship and would like to submit a question, or maybe you need some advice and a new perspective, please email me at janicegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode.